What is up? What is good? How you living? How you feeling? It is the L-E-F-K-O-E man. But today I am the L-E-F-K-O-E cards because we're doing a special little episode. Uh, I'm still very deep in the sports card game. Uh, It's some of the most fun that I've had. And I don't want to have this content kind of bleed into the other stuff. If you want to listen to it, great, because I think we're going to have a fun time. The dude that is joining me today is my sports card Sherpa. He is the wonderkin of wax. He is flying up and he's only 23 years old. It is Chris Action Jackson. Oh, how you doing, pal? Thanks for having me, man. I'm doing good, man. How are you? It was back in May, I want to say, May or June. And I go on and I buy a Kevin Durant refractor and I, I buy it now. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I got it. And this guy responds to me on eBay and he's like, he's like, hey, like I'm going to ship this out to you, blah, blah, blah. By the way, are you the guy on Bleacher Report? And I was like, why, yes, I am. This is crazy. And I go on Instagram and I see this dude's cards. And I was like, this must be an OG in the game. His, his cards are crazy. I'm seeing Tom Brady contenders and Russell Wilson's. Uh, and then we're, we're texting and I was like, oh, this guy's giving me a lot of good information. And then we FaceTime and this young, beautiful face pops up. And I was like, time out. How old are you? And, and since then, man, we've probably talked like we were talking at one point, like hours a day, but it was, it was my first eBay interaction. And I'm curious, how was it from your perspective? Cause that was my retelling of it. No, no, that's I'm pretty accurate. I mean, you bought the you bought the Durant for me, and I saw on the address it said Adam Lefko, and I was like, I swear I see this name everywhere. Like I follow Bleacher Report pretty religiously, so I was like, there's there's no way, right? But I shot you a message, and you hit me back like, yeah, it's me. So um, I just I remember offering my services. I think I even wrote you like a note in you the did. package, like, hey, if you need anything, please reach out. Here's my contact information. Um, I just think it's a great hobby and like to see uh, people with your stature in the industry uh, get into it was a super exciting. So um, I was glad I was able to offer a little help. And then it just turned into, yeah, five, six hour jam sessions, whether I'm like cooking or yeah, this man, this man's baking muffins. And I'm asking him about (laughs) the first year of prism and, you know, like what what is tops Chrome? Like what about tops base, all this stuff. Um, your your story is is really cool because I I have never been to a convention I've never seen these big card shows but it definitely sounds like you were like the little homie walking around forever but the stories with with Asia and with with, with Nigeria can you explain your path and how cards have been a part of it the entire time yeah, so actually I was in San Francisco probably early 2000s and there was like the, they just do these little packs of just, you know, they take base cards together and um, I bought one of those packs and it had a Tom Brady card in it. So when I got into Nigeria and we were living there, my dad works for Chevron, um, I started really getting into cards and like buying the wax and opening How old packs you? and that's where I found the love of the hobby. How old were you then? Then I was probably eight to 10 years old, right? That, so like, you're range. an eight to 10 year old redhead in Nigeria collecting sports cards. Yeah. That is amazing. Yep. So I was doing Pokemon and sports cards and I was even selling there. I got in trouble with the principal in Nigeria for selling Pokemon cards and sports cards to kids. 
How much were, how much um, so, were you selling them for? I just, just for reference. Um, a thousand Naira. So about $10 us for right? like a Charizard. Um, no. Yeah. For, for like, you know, just yeah, regular yeah. Pokemon card. Right. Um, those are probably worth more now, know. you know, who would have known. Um, but yeah, so after that I moved to Singapore and that was my middle school years. And I just saw an opportunity there. There was a lot of expats that love sports, especially American sports, right? They were huge in the football, huge in the basketball and parents, kids, they both loved opening these packs of cards. I just had a few and like some people. Yeah, how did you introduce like, hey. it? Like, would you just, would they come over and you'd have some, like, how would it come up? Yeah. So, um, I started selling to a few kids at school, you know, like opening the jacket pockets. Like, do you want prism? Do you want top scroll? Like, how are we going to do this? I had to like all, I had to set up in my locker. So I'd open my locker and there would just be like packs of cards, just boxes of cards. The one thing we're going to get into um, later is your organizational skills are unbelievable. So I'm sure that it was very OCD in that locker. Okay. So you're, you're oh, slinging yeah. in Singapore and you're realizing there's a market as a 14 year old kid. Exactly. I mean, when the parents starting buying packs, like the kids were coming to me and be like, Hey, my dad needs a box. Like I was like, okay, there's a market for wow. this. So I started selling cases of cards, just shipping them from the U S overseas. Um, but when I got back to the U S I finally had like a little seed money. And from then I could actually do trades because there wasn't all the international shipping and it wasn't such a hassle. And that's how my business really got started. And I just started buying, selling and trading cards. How were you getting cards because i what i hear right now is part of the reason why the market's booming is it's so easy to deal with united kingdom and china and now there's ebay and the, how were you doing it before that stuff was was cemented i guess yeah so in middle school you know there was no ebay global shipping program at the time there was not a lot of like this international presence and a lot of people didn't want to pay the huge tariffs and taxes in order to get these products shipped over to singapore um, but my dad and I worked out a special deal with Chevron to get a global exemption wow. on sports cards because they didn't want to start, they didn't want to ship all this mailing, these mailing, like huge boxes. Right. But we're like, he's like, Oh, my kid, you know, just loves sports <gasps> cards and just loves it so much. And this is what makes him happy and feel like he's at yeah. home. And we got a global exemption on just sports wow. cards that we couldn't tell anybody else about. So it was just That's us. incredible. Like, don't say a word, but we'll Did get it you, over to you. I mean, were you like, what's funny about the hobby is that a lot of people, their, their family comes to them eventually and goes, listen, this, you're kind of going a little bit too hard in this. I feel like that's something that happens to everybody. Um, but it sounds like your dad kind of saw your entrepreneurship and kind of fostered that. Yeah. So he never wanted to squander my entrepreneurship. Um, I think my first case of cards, everybody's like, Hey, like, if you can get the money for it, I'll buy it for you. But like, you know, that's up to you. So I actually sold gum to get my first case of cards mm. because gum's illegal in Singapore unless it's prescribed. So how are you getting gum? Packs of gum packs of, I would I load up my backpack and my carry on with gum from like Costco and bring it over and sell to the kids in Singapore. And then you used all the money from Singapore. How much would you say you brought back to the States? You said seed money. Yeah, I came back with about eight thousand dollars. So it doesn't seem like much in today's market, but back when then, you're a, like you could get. When you're a middle cars. school kid too. Yeah, yeah. So like you know, it wasn't a ton, but it was enough to start start something, right? This is interesting. Okay, so you get back to the states. We've never talked about this before, and then 
how did you use that 8,000? How did you begin to build something? Because just so people know, you then turn this into like a six figure a year, like being able to sell sports cards, like making it like a real, and you weren't even in college, you were in college. But um, I'm curious, what did you do with that 8,000? How did it start? Yeah, so there was no Instagram at the time. Um, so there wasn't like a lot of outlets. What I found was YouTube was the way to go. So I was doing, I was making videos, just like, these are my cards. Like, do you want to buy, sell, trade? And a lot of people that are on Instagram now started on YouTube, mm. right? So that's how I got my like marketing out there. And I was able to start buying and selling and trading that way. A lot of people on YouTube. Did you have the mindset then, then too, to- which is like, I'm going to move these and invest in bigger ones and keep upgrading? Was that your mindset then too, or was it more business transactional? Back then it was more like, I want to get that 20%. Like I want to just make those margins on every card. I wasn't necessarily trying to make those margins and go for the bigger cards. That came later for Mm. me. Um, So it was definitely more so just trying to get that, make sure I make 20 to 25% of every card. I was flipping constantly, right? Like I would do my geometry homework at school so I could come home and trade cards. That was an obsession. It was an obsession at that point. Oh yeah, I, I went in pretty deep on it. Oh, and still, what am. was the first really big card that you bought that you said, "I'm not going to flip this. This is a this is a hold for me." Whether it's because I like the player or because I think it could really grow. That I still have, or one that I did move eventually. Uh, the first, like the first one that you were like as a kid, like holding it in your bed, being like, "I can't believe I got it." Yeah, so it was actually I did end up selling it, but I bought a 2009 Topps Unique, which was like a really cool product. It was only made one year, but they had a lot of cool logo mans and like different logo patches and stuff. And I ended up getting the Tom Brady. It had his whole Reebok logo when they stole the Reebok jerseys uh, from his Pro Bowl game. Mm. So the Reebok Reebok logo autograph 101. I remember thinking that was just the coolest card. Like hands Mm. down, Tom Brady was my guy. That was my first Tom Brady auto. I was just so stoked to have that. And I think I bought it for like $500, which is crazy to say today because that card's probably ten to 15000 And I, I did sell it eventually like five years later for 7000 mm. and thought I just made the moon on it. So um, there, there are so many ways I can go with this. So then you, you start building and then like your business philosophy with cards, would you say is what? I, I, and I, I kind of factoring in like organization and all that, like, what has been your overarching philosophy with, with making this more than a hobby and something that you can live on? Yeah, so definitely like scalability was one thing for me. I, I, I did determine early on that grading had huge margins. Mm. So I was able to take stuff in huge quantities, like now Prism base cards, but back then it was more like Topps Chrome, taking those items in bulk and submitting them and getting them back and then selling those mm. off and then like I, like we talked about going into those bigger items that are going to sustain for the long term, yeah. right? So that was a huge thing for me, just the scalability and being able to grade a bunch of cards and get them back because people weren't doing that until the last few years, which caused the backlog. Man. But is it what? Yeah. What is it like for you, someone that's been doing this in multiple countries, and and you see you couldn't even get cards or gum in Singapore, and and now like collector's universe stock that owns PSA just continues to go up and up. The amount of cards getting graded is wild. You're now working at a company we're going to get to in a little bit that is like specializing in this. It feels like 
fantasy football kind of in the beginning stages. Like it feels like a little boom. I'm seeing Pokemon boxes sell for 120, then 220, then over 300 grand within three weeks of each other. What is this like for you to have seen so many different stages of this? I think this is amazing. This is like, I, I take so much joy in seeing where this industry has gone from where we started out. Um, the fact that I used to hide cards from my friends because I didn't think that it was cool and I'd get laughed at for collecting Tom Brady cards to the point where now those same people that I was hiding it from are like, this is super cool. Like, how can I get invested? How can I be a part mm. of this? And just seeing how this is being truly used as an investment vehicle for a lot of wealthy patrons to get out of the stock market and into something that provides higher yields. I just think that's truly incredible, especially now that I've just graduated with a finance degree from Cal Poly um, and being able to use these like financial metrics and apply them to cards yeah. is just like- Did you ever like write me, reports right? about sports cards in any of your finance qu like classes? I don't know if there was ever a problem, but like, were you ever like trying to tell other financial people about this as a way of year over year returns? You know, I never wanted to make it too public or like, it, it makes it seem like almost like braggy if you're like, oh, like I make this much money on sports cards. But I would talk to a few finance professors about it. I actually did a psychology presentation on like the art of negotiation and talked about going to the national and negotiating for my Michael Jordan PSA 10 rookie mm. uh, and like the different heuristics and stuff like that. Um, so I have I have incorporated cards. Uh, I have written one report just about how I've done with sports cards and how I relate it back to some of these financial metrics. I'll ask you a state of the hobby type of question. Everybody has theories about what happened in March. I think you have to say that what happened with COVID is a huge uh, like boost to everything. Um, but I, we would talk a lot over that stretch. And I'm curious now that we're in October and we're looking back and there was this wild rise. And then after August, there's been a dip in some things. Other things are still... The rare ones, the serial number cards are still going up. But as you look back at the last six, seven months, what perspective do you have now over what we just experienced? No, it was definitely uncharted territory at the time. I remember we would sit for hours and just go back and forth. I'm like, is this sustainable? What's going on? Like, where are we? This is uncharted territory. Yeah. Um, I think it was definitely there's the COVID, the initial COVID. Everybody was at home. They wanted something to do. I mean, Robin Hood was also a big thing then and it spiked a ton because people just wanted to trade and do something, mm -hmm. right? Because people were still working, still had income. They were just doing it from home, right? Um, so I think that played a huge role in a lot of money coming into this industry. Um, additionally, I think there was a lot of uneducated people buying certain items based on what other people said, um, like those base prisms, right? People weren't looking into pop reports as much. Now people look into pop reports and see how many are out there and how many are on the market and how liquid. I mean, we are. lived on people pop reports for like every time we talked. Like that was all. Oh we yeah, we, we yeah we just we went ham on it, right? Like we just went in on every single card, how many were there, and I think that probably helped you from the get go on investing in the right cards. Yeah. And I, and um, I'll say this, yeah. I, I give you uh, almost all of the credit for steering me out of danger. I think, I think everybody, when you get into this, if you're interested in getting into this, you bring the zeal, you bring the fun, and you also have to bring the mentality that if you go in looking to get cards that you think you're going to love, money will follow. Don't come in trying to make a lot of money because that's how you'll lose a lot of money. 
but I think it's the responsibility of the people in the hobby to help steer out of danger because they're putting their pet, their foot on the pedal. It's, it's not about, Hey, buy this. It's more about avoid that. And I really appreciate all the safeguards you did for me. Cause I, man, I said you some ugly fucking cards and there have been some cards that I was <laughs> like, I believe in this. And you're like, I don't see it. And I, but like, that's, it's subjective sometimes. Exactly. It's all about your thesis, right? Like if you believe in something, you got to go for it, right? Because you might regret it later. Um, yeah, there's definitely like a lot of barriers to entry. Like people don't realize just how many intricacies there are to the hobby. Uh, I think you above anybody else that has come to me and asked for advice has like really taken to heart a lot of the things I've said and like done your own research before investing. And that's why you've been so successful with it. I appreciate that. Sure. Um I'm going to do one pat on the back before we talk about the company you work for. I remember being on vacation and I, I just like went into a hole in the beach one day where I was just looking at every price of every athlete. And I was like, who is the most undervalued? And I remember I called Chris as though I had state FBI secrets. Do you remember the night that I called you being like, I found it. It's Russell Wilson. Like I, I had never been more sure of anything in my life. No, I, I remember that exact moment. I was actually baking muffins. This was muffin night. <laughs> and you called me and you're like, okay, dude, like, I, I know who the guy is. Like, I got this down. And this is when we were still getting to know right. each other. It's like week one. You're like, you're like, you're not going to go front run me or anything, right? Yeah, I was afraid that you were going to go like, and buy all of the guy that I said. Because I didn't know you that yeah, much yet. Little did you know, I had a whole stash of Russell oh. Wilson. I think I sold you a few you after we talked about it. Um but yeah, no, that was you nailed that one on the head. He's having outrageous season. Yeah, the two guys awesome that I player. said to Chris were Russell Wilson and Damian Lillard. And Lillard has come back to earth. But that 61-point run, I was just texting Chris like nonstop. Like, this is insane. Um, yeah, the, the amount of times we yelled Dame Dalla oh at each other. <laughs> um, you go and you're coming out of Cal Poly and you have a job. Can I say the place where you had a job? You yeah. were going to get a job at Adobe and it seemed like it was going to be a good opportunity. What was the opportunity? Yeah. So it was like their financial rotational program. So it was a two-year program. Um, it was a great opportunity. I had a great time. At the and where could that have taken you? Like what was the path if you go on one of those programs? Yeah. So you go into the program, you get like a wide breadth in different areas of finance and accounting and it kind of just sets you up for success, whether it's within the company or if you want to springboard to another company as far as going into like more management style um, roles. And then the summer continues to progress and the prices of cards keep going up and there's all of these new companies kind of starting up. And when did you kind of look around and go, there might be an opportunity to make this not just my livelihood on the side, but something I could really make my own? Well, I think you, as well as a lot of other people, they, they, you guys find out how much volume I'm doing selling sports cards and you go, why are you even going to Adobe? I remember you asking me that the first week, like, why are you even doing this? And honestly, I was like, you know, it's a, it's a great solid career opportunity. And I can also do this on the side and have dual income. Um, but they had me sign a like agreement that I wouldn't like, you know, steal company time and you can only do this like on the weekends mm. and you know, that, that was, they were like really alarmed by it. Actually HR, like, how really, did it like, even come up? Because like, they, they ask you like, do you have any side business and the amount of revenue I'm doing? I have to, I have mm. to, uh, 
disclose it. So when I did, they like, it kind of raised a red flag with their HR. So the fact that like, there's just a little bit of hassles, I was like, uh, maybe this won't be as easy as I thought it was going to be. Um, but this, this opportunity with all, uh, really, it was a week before I was starting with Adobe and, uh, got in touch with Lior through my buddy Darius. And we're like, we talked, um, and I really believe in Lior and his mission and, uh, what he's about. And we really hit it off and, haven't looked back since. The reason that we got a chance to talk to Lior after he bought the LeBron was because you had been talking. He's like, I can set you up. And I was like, oh, you don't have to do that. And then I got an email and it's like, you are officially are interviewing Lior. And I was like, whoa, okay, I'm down. This sounds great. Um, but I remember you being like, yeah, I'm meeting with this guy and this company and it sounds really good. And like, I remember I flipped into like old man Adam and I was like, now Christopher, you have this Adobe opportunity and I don't know who the fuck this guy is. Like, I remember that I all of a sudden got scared. And, but you were like, no, I fucking trust this guy. And now you're, you're working at Alt, uh, which is the company. And, and it's, it's, I know you're excited. I know that you feel like you're at the forefront of something. Yep. Yep. You nailed it on the head. Like, I think you, you made, you sat me down and you were like, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Like, you got a great offer. Do you want to take the risk? And, you know, at this point in my life, I just graduated college. Um, I'm in this like in-between phase of what I want to do career-wise. And I've been doing this my whole life. And I feel like I have a good expertise and knowledge of what's going on in the industry. And I felt like this was the time to take the leap of faith. Uh, do you have the last two big purchases of Alt? I feel like this is a good time to shoot. I do. Okay. I do. Can you, can you bring them up we'll slowly? Them okay. So here's the first one. The LeBron James RPA Exquisite. Yeah, give me a little bit of background on this. Just we've seen it before, we've talked about it, but like I want to hear the Chris Jackson breakdown of why this card is is symbolic and worth 1.8 and probably more since it's been sold. Yeah, so this is the Exquisite Rookie Patch Auto, right? So this is the most iconic set, like the most iconic design year after year. Still, as Upper Deck makes cards they still make this design just because of how iconic this year is, right? And just the fact that LeBron owns two of them himself, it just adds to the legacy of how rare this card mm. is. And the grade itself is the highest graded one, obviously. And oh, there's none higher than a BGS 9.5. Yeah, no PSA 10s, 9.5 is the only way to go. There might be, I think there's one more 9.5. but That's out of 23, right? Yes, this is the gold version out of 23 too, and not the out of 99. Now, you always told me that 99s were, you would rather go 99 than the out of 23. Why is that different for this one? Yeah, I think it's more for like the modern football and like the modern basketball, but like this iconic set, you do want the lower number mm -hmm. one. Was right? it iconic when it uh, came out? Yes. So people even in 03 were chasing LeBron James, right? They were chasing the Jordans and LeBron James within Exquisite. I know people that would go to like DA card world and go to their warehouse and open every single box they got in like hundreds of thousands of dollars to pull these cards. Right. He was just that sought after, but that, at the time it was, you know, thousands yeah. of dollars, not millions. So, um, yeah. Now you guys followed it up with the Giannis logo, man. Yes. Just got that Ooh. one. In. What are the subs on that? Yeah, so this one has nine five centering, nine five edges, eight five corners, and nine surface. Would you agree that the we most important did. one is centering? I feel like that's the one that everyone cares about the most. It okay. varies per card. 
Yeah, it varies. Um, like Jordan rookies. Yeah, centering's the one. Hold, hold that up um, one more time. I think, yeah, I think for the Giannis, like corners really matter, right? Because NTRPs are just thick mm. cards and hard to grade. The coolest thing yeah, about so about both of those guys is how different they look as rookies compared to the rest of their careers. It really is like a frozen moment in time. Oh, definitely. It's like totally like Giannis looks like he's half the weight he is now. Um, super skinny. All right, do me a favor. Uh, I want you to hold both up kind of right here in the corners while you answer the question. Can you believe you're at a point holding over $3 million, nearly $4 million in, in two cards. See, as a, as a, as a young, um, newly adult, I think it's crazy that I'm holding houses in my hand as I'm looking on Zillow to buy a house. And here we are with $4 million in cards. Wow. I would never have imagined this. Um, what, what is it like for you as ago. a card collector? Cause now those are grails. What is that like for you to be a part of this? And then I'm going to ask the purpose. No, it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, three months ago, when we first started talking, even like two months ago, who would have known that we'd be buying these cards and I'd have the opportunity to go out and like acquire these cards, mm. right? Um, it's just, it's truly special and just, it speaks a lot of where the industry has gone and where it's continuing to grow. You said we, we've talked about Lior. And when we talked last time, I said, you know, what, what was the hope? Because I think Darren Ravel had tweeted out that they were buying LeBron and there's a bigger plan in place. Uh, and I'm hoping because you're my guy, we can get some of that inside scoop. Uh, these are two of the biggest purchases I've seen other than the Pokemon purchases during this whole wave. What is the plan for all? What are you guys thinking? Yeah. So these cards are actually part of Alt Fund One, right? So it's the first and largest alternative asset for sports cards portfolio for people to invest in. Mm. And this yeah. is, and can you explain to me what a, a fund would be? Cause I'm going to come to you with no knowledge of this stuff. Yeah. So alt fund one is a collection of obviously some of the greatest sports cards in modern times of the best athletes, right? It's a great way for people that are new to this asset class to gain exposure and diversify their portfolio from stocks and crypto. It's just another opportunity for people to get into a different asset class. Mm. And how do you guys pick which cards go into the fund? Is that like the Chris Jackson selection committee? Like how does it, because obviously those two are in it, but like, how does that work? Yeah, so we got a team, we have targets out there. Um, the hardest thing has been just since we're the largest fund, it's been acquiring these cards, right? Um, cause people always, they want to, they want to raise the prices on us. Um, so that's been a really difficult thing, especially since we're the largest, like just being able to get the volume itself mm. has been hard. Um, but yeah, we're looking for, you know, the best of the best. We're looking for the best hall of fame guys. to. Oh, so is the fund always growing? Like you guys are always on the hunt for the biggest cards. And if you invest in the fund, you're kind of, you guys are kind of leading the hunt for other people's ass like money. In okay. a sense, right? We have our LPs that are investing money um, and we have a certain period where we're allowed to invest. And then there's going to be years where we're holding basically gotcha. for the most part with small in and out positions. And that's yeah. something that you guys have always told me is, is you want to, you want to go after the cards that really have a chance to grow over 10 years. They can, they're all going to grow. That's what we've seen from the last 30 years. But in terms of the amount of return, 
it, the more you, the bigger you go, the bigger it grows. It really seems that's where you guys are. That's what we're going to say. Absolutely. No, you're, you're, you hit that nail on the head. Um, it's essentially, yeah, the more you invest and the rarer you go, the more upside it has in the future because the people that want to spend the money to get the card only have a few opportunities, especially if it's a one-on-one or out of 23 with the highest grade, mm -hmm. right? So the scarcer it is, and it has the more appeal for the higher investors. I, I know for me personally, it was very important for me to get a lot of intake from different corners of the hobby, whether it's the pure collectors, whether it's the straight investors. I want to listen to people that are preaching soccer and Pokemon the same way that people are preaching only buy 86 Fleer or make sure that you get serial number. Because I think you need to listen to both because... They're both usually right and they're both usually wrong. And I'm not listening to one person. That's dangerous. And I, when I hear people talk about funds or fractional ownership, this side, the hobby side is like, why would I want that? I want to hold the card. You are a pure collector at heart. You're also a flipper too. But what, what would you say to those people that are like, this doesn't seem fun to me. This may be just for people that really don't know what they're doing. No, I think you I think you handled this perfectly. The distinction between there's the collectors and there's the investors. The collectors want to hold the card. They want to have that card, right? They want to buy a certain asset and they want to have it in hand and be able to play with it and do whatever Show you want it off. With the card. Yeah. And on the other yeah, on the other hand, you have investors, right? They may not have the knowledge that these collectors do, but they also want exposure to this asset class. They want to diversify. The big word is diversify, mm. right? And through fractional ownership or through a fund, they're able to buy the whole portfolio of Hall of Fame athletes, right? As opposed to, it's not just 0.1% of a LeBron card. It's not just buying a LeBron card. It's Giannis. It's LeBron. It's the big names in sports, right? If someone was new to investing in the stock market and came to you and asked, where should I invest? Would you tell them to go buy all of one stock or to buy an index fund with a bunch of different athletes mm. or a bunch of different stocks? Most people should suggest the index, right? Uh, you get a lot of upside in different areas and it's a great way to diversify within mm. this new asset class. And I think that provides a huge opportunity for these investors because they don't have the knowledge nor the time to spend months researching and finding out the intricacies, but they're able to still invest in this. That That's what's so interesting to me is I've been hearing about these financial institutions these big whales are coming. Ooh, baby, they're coming. I've been hearing about this now for three or four months. And I think we all go on to different things, whether it's only alt, where I know that you guys can upload your collection there and you guys are tracking it in real time, or you know, guys like Card Ladder, who I've talked to before, everyone's kind of looking and going, okay, where are they going to come in? You guys are in meetings. Are you in meetings with like big time players? It, it, is that statement, that, that, that notion true that it's coming? Yes, absolutely. We got a great team on board. Um, we got, yeah, we got great investors. I uh, can't wait to share more about that. I'm, cur I'm, I'm curious yeah. more about like, is there actual buzz? Like, are you, are you really seeing these big time players showing more interest right now? Absolutely. I mean, the more we pitch and the more we talk about this, the more people get excited, right? Like the way we've been able to raise funding has been unmatched compared to a lot of other startups. Mm. Um, it's just such an exciting diversifying asset class. How easy of a sell is it in these market, meetings? 
Like that's what I mean is like when well, you're that- in meetings, whether it's with one person or a, or a group and you pitch, what has the reaction been like on the other side? Oh, they're excited. They love it because in, in our history of the United States, there's been only a few times this has happened, right? You got the stock and bond market, you had foreign exchange market, you had crypto in the 2000s. And we believe, and a lot of other investors too, also believe that alternative assets are the next wave of investing just because it doesn't have any correlation with the stock market. It's a truly impressive way to invest and diversify part of people's portfolio. Um, in what, what else? So there's the index fund, but I know that you guys are working on a lot of other stuff too that I know you're excited about. So what, what are some other things that Alt's kind of doing as we are kind of in that pioneer stage of the hobby right now where I feel like in the next year or two, there's going to be these huge groups kind of popping up. What are you guys excited about? Yeah, we're really excited about a lot of different things. And I think this platform just provides a lot of opportunities for us to keep adding new features. But some of the main things that we wanted to do is number one, we wanted to have dynamic insurance. So through our alt value, we're creating, that's our secret sauce, right? Our alt value. It's going to automatically populate the current market value. And as it changes through days, it can automatically update based on more sales, um, more market trends. Mm. Uh, so that's going to be really important for everyone I talk to is always looking for just the most accurate tracking possible. When do we get to that second by second status? Exactly. That's, that's what we're working towards and have already had great progress on. And that's going to help in so many different facets of this industry, including insurance, which has not been dynamic in the past. You have to update your policy constantly as your collection changes, which is a, a huge pain. Now, with the alt value, as it changes, you're covered with the ebbs oh, and flows, cool. which will be really huge for the industry. Another thing is securitizing these assets. Lior, our CEO, will tell you firsthand, he's gone to multiple banks to take his multi-million dollar Kobe Bryant and LeBron James collection and put that up to securitize a loan based off of those assets. And he's gotten denied from every single bank, even though this is a very fleshed out and solid asset class, right? And we want to be able to provide that loan for a lot of collectors and investors, right? We want people to be able to have these assets and send them into our vaulting system and be able to securitize loans so they don't have to sell the card. They can just get a loan with a small APR and be able to spend that money how they see fit. What would you say that now I'm going to act like my act like Sharon Lefko and be a little bit concerned taking loans off of a uh, a sports card that has a value that is perceived. That, oh, that sounds scary to a lot of people. Why does that not sound scary to you? It's not scary to us. We believe in this asset class, for one. For two, we'd offer a loan margin that makes sense for both parties, right? To where we're not over collateralizing. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you respond when people... Because what it, what it really comes down to is the singular belief that this is a reliable asset class. And if you believe it, it makes sense. And if you doubt it, it doesn't make sense. What are your biggest arguments when people doubt it to your face? Yeah, I mean, the, kind of the track record speaks for itself. This, Although it's had a huge boom and a lot of more recognition in the past months, um, you can look back five, six years and there's still articles about sports card trumps stock market. Mm -hmm. There's an article in Forbes from, I think, 2010 
sports cards outperform the stock market year after year. And it's only proven to be more true as of late. Would you say that you guys um, have been I, keeping it a secret for a, for a while? I think in a sense, since everybody thought it was so nerdy or so, you know, not hip that I think we kind of by default would just not talk about it as much. Right. Like I remember having these in my college dorm room, my freshman and sophomore year under my bed tucked yeah. in a corner didn't want to tell anybody about it. I'd ship packages, put them in my backpack so people didn't see what I was doing. So, but um, I mean, has it flipped from like, hey, we're all making really good income right now and we're not going to just broadcast this because it's it's kind of nice. Why has that flipped to let's get everybody in? You know, what what, what do you what do you think opened the floodgates for for from collectors perspectives to like reach out and help people come in? Well, or has it always been like that? It's always been like that. Like we're me personally, I'm very passionate about this space and I always have been. Uh, I was happy to talk to people about it when they would ask or they would get be aware of it and what I was doing. I love talking about yeah. it. You can see like when we connected, I just love talking about the industry and where it's going. Um, but I think it was a twofold thing. Like, yeah, people didn't want to vocalize what they were doing just because they were embarrassed yeah. or not happy about it. And uh, yeah, too, just when people come into this industry and it's now cool, like it's great to show your knowledge and come out and talk about it. Uh, one of the, the things you did right when we started talking was uh, you were like, don't get into any bullshit. Don't, don't talk about a card and then raise the price on it and then sell the card. Everyone's going to hate you. And also that's just shitty business. Spread this, be a good ambassador. And I feel like you kind of gave me my moral compass because when money is involved, it's hard not to be greedy. But like from the first time we started talking, you were like, I'll fucking never talk to you again if you go that way. Um, are you worried that people won't come in with that mindset? Are you worried that people might come in and just see dollar signs and get really fucking greedy? Look, anywhere there's money, there's going to be greed. There's going to be corruption. Um, the the one, number one reason I'm excited to work for all is I believe we truly have the trust and transparency at the forefront of what we do. Everything we do, we want it to be completely trustworthy and we want it to be open to everybody, right? It shouldn't be the case that in an industry like this, there's so much greed and corruption that people that don't know what they're doing get hosed very quickly. Not just from what they're investing in, but from scams, from pump and dump schemes. You know, we, we want to create the trust and transparency that this hobby needs. We want to talk to the SEC. We want to bring regulation into mm. this, not the other way around. Most times it's try to avoid regulation, but here we want to bring it in. We want to make this a true asset class to invest in. And with that comes the regulations needed. I'm seeing right now, and I'm hearing a lot of things about people wanting to start different enterprises. And with that comes competition. And with that comes anger at each other. And I'm sure that people are going to hear you talking about all the transparency and in their heads, they're going to go, screw these guys. They're just hoarding all the big cards, all that stuff. And for me, it's, I just still look at it as like rising tides, raise all ships and like, but everybody, I I can already feel like the competition stuff brewing. And I feel like you're just going to try and hammer it home like that's not the case. But No, I mean, Alt Fund is just one fund we wanted to do. And we wanted to bring in a lot of exposure from different limited partners. But our platform as a whole is to empower the user, right? We want people to be able to come on our platform and put their portfolio in 
and build portfolios on the site and be able to value it real time and protect their What about What about player empowerment? Because I've heard you talk about that too, the actual athletes themselves. Are you working on anything with that? Yeah, I think uh, athletes are becoming more aware. I'm sure you've you, you spoken to like Steve. I, I talked to him last night and he I, I held up a Jordan promo and he held up a Kobe and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well and I'm in a group chat with other athletes and we forecast to And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. I didn't know that. No, I think definitely as this industry continues to explode, it's so much different than just fantasy. Like you can have real stake in how a player changes through time and his value, right? I think when players become more aware that they can invest in themselves on another front, how cool would it be that Luka Doncic, when he first came out, was not the hottest rookie and he bought $100,000 worth of his cards that are now worth multi-million dollars, right? Like this is a great way for athletes to invest in themselves invest in other athletes that they see that they play. Like I have a lot of respect for this guy. I think he's going to be great. Like they can go invest in these guys. And it's also just cool for anybody, any investor, any collector that they can truly seek out a player that they believe in and they could have uh, a share of their success by buying their cards. And I think that's something that people will become more aware of and we're going to try to make it and more efficient for people to do so and invest in these players. Do you have more cards near you right now? I do have one more here. Um, you know I'm a Tom Brady yes. guy from the get-go. So this was one of my favorite purchases we made. Um, it's the Tom Brady mm. 2000 Contenders BGS 9510. It's the highest graded one with 210 subgrades on uh, centering and surface. So um, this is just a really great one for me personally. Um, I love this Was card. Tom Brady one of the first guys love that you really PC'd? Yes. I, at one point I had, I think, in – my sophomore year of high school, I had over 30 Tom Brady autographs and rookies, and I ended up selling a bunch of those. And my first car that I still have today, my Nissan Frontier truck, I bought with Tom Brady cards. So, If you could go back, would yes, you give the truck up for the cards again? Or is, is it- yeah, I wish I kept some of those cards. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't be driving a truck. I'd be driving a Porsche right Man. now. But um, hindsight's twenty. Hold on. What were the other subgrades? Two tens. Were they both nine fives or was one nine, one nine five? One's the nine corners. Corners are the toughest on this card. Corners and edges uh, because it chips so badly. Mm. Um, Yeah, personally, I have a few BGS nines, but this is for the final. I know when we first got in together, you were showing me a lot of BGS nine fives. I know that you think that there's a little bit of an arbitrage in value with PSA 10 and BGS nine five. This is just a hobby question. Like, where do you stand on wanting to go between a gem mint plus BGS nine five and a PSA 10. I've done a few flips myself. Where do you stand with that? You know, I like both PSA and BGS. I think they serve different purposes. Um, PSA is very tough on certain subgrades. So certain cards you want to send to PSA and certain subgrades you want to send to uh, Beckett. Mm. So I think they both serve a valuable purpose. I do think that there's a large gap between a PSA 10 and a true gem plus. Um, Yeah. Like, I think you were talking about what you had the, the LeBron yeah. that you crossed just the gap. I don't think should be that big. So I think it'll, it'll start to change in the future mm. and lessen, but that's just my personal opinion. If I were to give you, if I were to take all of your cards and sell them, so you are completely liquid. And I said, you can PC. I said, you're starting over and you're going to go after three, four, five guys. Who would you pick? 
I love Tom Brady. Um, I still think he's undervalued. I do too. He's like undisputed best of all time. So he has six Super Bowls. And and yeah, like no one's gonna touch. So that. in in football prices, and I want to get back to this. Is it Brady, Mahomes, and then everybody else? Brady, Mahomes, Rice, and then everybody else? I'd say it's Brady and Mahomes right now. Those are the two. Everything else, there's like a significant drop off. Even Lamar's had a little bit of a drop off this year because he's not putting up those crazy numbers. Brady has six. There's a chance this year he could get seven, which is crazy. How many championships do you think are already baked into Patrick Mahomes' price? I think people are already banking on three, maybe even four Super Bowls, um, just based on his prices. He's an outrageous Amazing. player. Like he is, he's phenomenal. Um, just the plays he makes are insane, but he does have a lot baked in already to his prices, just like we saw LeBron had a lot baked into him winning the championship. Just like you told me, um, Mahomes so. went down after the Super Bowl, LeBron went down after the finals. Yep, yep. It's a thing, right? Based on hype, people already bake in these like accolades. Yeah, it's so, like reverse potential, where like everyone's prices in the beginning of the season are, this is what their prices would be if they're making a championship run. And then as it goes on, it actually goes down. And your goal is to find the people that don't go down as much. That's what it seems like to exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. No, you nailed that on that. Um, okay. So Brady would be one. Who else you thinking? Brady, I still like the likes of like other football Hall of Fame. I like Peyton Manning still. Um, Hall of Fame next year. Hall of yep. Fame next year. Yeah, I think he's a great buy. Kobe Bryant, just uh, unfortunately the aura that surrounds him now with his tragic death um, and his like insane career and just his mentality and how much he means to all these other mm. athletes, I think is huge. I love Kobe. Um, but yeah, that's just a few. Would you would you go uh, in Jordan? Or but, Jordan always so, that's the blue. Chip. Okay. So th that's the thing is like the, the bigger names, I feel like you've said them, which is like Brady, Kobe, Jordan, LeBron. Um, and then there's a lot more, but those are the ones that I feel like have like huge collectors out there that love their stuff. And I feel like the Mahomes collector base is starting to get there already. If you were going to look for value, who's someone that, that maybe you're really into that it's not, it's not going to cost you 20, 30, 40 grand for one card. I still think Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, the careers they've had and continue to have. I know Aaron Rodgers stumbled yeah. last week against the Bucks, but overall, they're both phenomenal athletes. People think that Aaron Rodgers is like the best talent at quarterback of all time, just based on his tangibles and intangibles. Um, and his prices don't reflect that. There shouldn't be a reason that his 2005 like Topps Chrome refractors, which are the Prism equivalent now, are a hundred times as scarce as a Kyler Murray base prism PSA 10, but the difference is minimal. So um, there's that a lot was of the age old debate before is would the Rogers go up or would the Kyler's come down because the gap doesn't make sense. And I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I feel like lately it's been Kyler coming down. Yeah. So definitely Kyler's come down um, when he stumbled those past two weeks. Um, they're starting to come back up again. I, I listed a few the other day, and Kyler Murray's values are coming I back. I forgot so. that you're like really a true football collector. Like so many people I've met are on the basketball side, and I think part of the education you gave me was 
Because I remember going after contenders and and you being like, listen, like optics cool in basketball, but it's not really that big. Like you're how many other big football collectors are? I forgot that was like your passion. Yeah, I started with football and really carried football all the way through high school. When I got to college, I started diversifying more into baseball and basketball. Um, there's a lot of football collectors out there. And as season rolls around, you see that people love football. It's just a very seasonal thing. So um, it's a great sport. to. So as, as you were football and earlier this year, it was soccer and football's not international. It's only limited to the U.S. And as this market grows, that could be the one that loses market share. What was your reaction to all those conversations? I think it's kind of proven itself this season. Like people are still investing in football. I'm still hesitant on the soccer market because it's still new and unestablished. I don't know where it's going, right? Like I think the Lionel Messi's and Ronaldo's are solid, but everything else, I don't know what's going on as far as whether it's just people pumping and dumping. Um, I think it's just something to be aware of when investing in these new markets. Um, Just since it's so new, it's so unfounded. You don't know what's going to rise and drop and it's very volatile. So it's a, PSA for those out there trying to go. And yeah. And, and, and I would say this, the one thing I've learned is I, I've always prided myself on not paying attention to the hype and paying attention to reality, but with sports cards, as it is with media in general, hype sells. And if there isn't hype around a guy, even if they've won, uh, they had a big game or two big games. If people aren't talking about it, it really doesn't fucking matter. Like Everyone's out there. It's like, yeah, but he had 12 rebounds. It's like, yeah, but nobody's talking about that. And what really fucked me up with soccer and the reason that I had two soccer cards and I sold them, and this is the uh, God's honest truth, is the championship, the Champions League final was on on a Sunday. And I remember I went, I got my Mbappe card and I'm excited to watch it with them. Let's see what channel it's on. And I looked and it was on like a sub-tier CBS channel. And I went... No one's going to be able to watch this game. And that, and I literally sold it that afternoon because I was like, how could I be invested in a sport in which you're not on a major network in the United States? And could it get there? Absolutely. But I'll wait until those, those TV deals are done because hype fucking matters. And it just does. Absolutely. That matters so much. I think one of the telling signs for me was when Someone came to me with a bunch of soccer cards and we talked and he goes, yeah, like I like Mabeep and I like uh, Ronaldo. I'm like, did you say Mabeep? Are you talking about like Mbappe? Like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh yeah, I've never actually watched a soccer game. I know people are investing in him. And to me, that was like, okay, well, I think a lot of other people are doing the same thing. They see that these people are selling, so they buy them, but they have no interest and no attachment to any player that do you think we'll ever reach a point where you can short sports cards i would love that i'd love to see that opportunity i think there is a chance if we build index of certain players with their best liquid cards to find a way to short that Mm. i think it's very possible would you short pokemon or would you invest as someone that used to collect pokemon I collected because I like to play with the cards, right? Like that was a very different time. But, you know, the growth is incredible. Um, I think what we're seeing with Pokemon right now is the same thing we saw with sports cards. Whether or not it's sustainable, 
that's the age old question, right? How do you, how do you uh, weigh that in your head though? Like how do you form a hypothesis of whether something's sustainable? Lameem James, I saw put up that thing recently where it was like, it showed soccer cards and then basketball, basketball base prism. And then, and it just showed how like, Oh, and football cards, they all went up and they kind of all came back down. And now next is Pokemon. How do you form your hypothesis of sustainability? I think for me, it's more like following again, the hype, and the trends, right? Like right now there's a lot of like institutional, like huge influencers that are talking about Pokemon and it's really rising all tides, mm. right? Um, but as we see with anything, at some point it stops going like this. Like it's never gonna continue forever going like this. So um, I think it's important to like temper expectations that your cards aren't gonna five times in value overnight for the next five years, That's right? That's an awesome so. point to end with. And I want to go a little bit deeper in that really quick, which is, I feel like there's a lot of young people, because I do this too. My producer David Ingber used to yell at me all the time to just take the profit. Um, and I know you feel that way too. I think a lot of people think that they want to hold these and then age 65, I'm going to sell them. And, uh, and they've all gone up to a million dollars a card. What, what is your philosophy to knowing when is the time to sell? Look, it's not perfect and I'm not perfect. I've definitely sold cards too early, but I've also sold cards at the right time. And what's the saying? You can never catch a falling knife. When you've made significant profit, you should not be scared with taking a profit. I think that's something that's uh, I've relayed to you and has been helpful in a sense. But you know, you can't you can't go broke making a profit, and especially at some of the turnaround profits, three, four hundred percent. You know, you got to take some of that at some point and you can't just bank on everything continuing to go up, right? Because eventually things correct. So um, be happy with profits you make. Your yeah. biggest hit, your biggest miss. My biggest hit. That so went counter to like, that you that you were like, I know it and people doubted you and you fucking hit it. Uh, I loved, so last summer actually, this is kind of funny, so um, I wanted a Kobe Bryant Topps Chrome Refractor PSA 10 rookie. I will, I like, I believed in that card. I loved the, like how scarce it was, especially in the PSA 10. Like there's less than 60 of them. There might be one or two more now, but at the time I was like, this is the card. I know it's going to be big. I bought one for 17,000 and there's actually another one that hit the market. And I told my dad, I was like, Hey, like, I think you should buy this. Like, I know for a fact this will go up in value. Like, you need to buy this card. And he's like, well, like 17000 And he was hesitating. And he's like, oh, I, just, I just can't do it, right? Um, so now I get to laugh at him and be like, hey, like, I've been offered 110000 for my Kobe a year later. How does he so, respond? Uh, he always tells me, he goes, oh, the next opportunity you got, I'm in. I'm in. I'm ready. So sometimes that's uh, what it takes. It takes yeah. someone missing an opportunity more than because if they if he were to hit it, oh man, man, you'd be laughing at Thanksgiving. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm still laughing, but for a different reason. Yeah. We're not in it together this oh, time. But the next and what one. about miss? What's one that it, you just didn't see and it hit and you're like, wow, I didn't see that. A card that I didn't yeah. buy. Because I think see, it's more fun to talk about cards you didn't buy than exploded than cards you did buy and they went down because they'll come back up unless it's like a failed like young player and you're prospecting. I think my biggest miss is actually, ironically, I had the opportunity to buy this card 
not maybe the same subgrades. I don't know if this is the exact one, but there's only 14 of them, I think. So um, I had the opportunity to buy this exact card about seven years ago for $8,000. And at the time I was like, ah, it's just like a lot of money. Like I'd rather trade. And he wanted like 10,000 in trade. I was like, I just can't do it. So I passed. Um, and now this is an over $200,000 card. So that was definitely my biggest miss for sure. Uh, like I had it on the table. I had the opportunity. Uh, you, you got it now. You got it now as an adult as part of Alt's fund. Exactly. Um, exactly. How can, if the people want to learn more about Alt or they're interested, whether it's, I know that you guys have vault services. I know that you guys are starting to kind of open up the tracking services or whether they're just interested in the fund. How can people learn more about this? Yeah, so we have our website, um, app.onlyalt.com. There's a wait list. We're getting people onboarded as soon as we can. Um, there's my personal Instagram, Action Jack Cards. You can hit me up there and I can get you on the wait list. There's Only Alt Official on Twitter and Instagram, and we're starting to post there and get the word out. I can't wait to share more with the hobby and industry. I appreciate you having me on to talk yeah, about man. it. and. We're excited for what's to come. It's going to be awesome. It, what, what, last one, what is the buzz in the office right now? Like I remember being at Bleacher Report seven years ago and it every day it felt so cool to go in there just because it was like, whoa, what the fuck are we making today? Like what? who knows what's going to happen? What's the buzz right now in the office? Everybody's super excited. I have to say this is like the this has been the best experience for me. I'm surrounded by the most talented individuals and upbeat individuals and we really play off one another in such a great fashion. We all work super well together. All the engineers work well with the operations team. And Lior is super charismatic and uh, helped everybody. And we all help each other out. And I think it's just a beautiful mix of very smart and driven individuals. So we're loving every day. Um, we're having a great That's time. Awesome. And we look forward to adding a lot of value to this. I'm industry. excited to see it. Uh, Action Jack Cards with a Z and two underscores, correct? Yes. Correct. Man, what a what a handle for this kid. He's nailed it. But but seriously, uh, you're you're someone that has helped guide me. You're someone that has helped not only steer me away from issues, but into good stuff. Um, a good amount of my collection has come from your collection, and so I appreciate you selling it to me and sharing it with me. But uh, more importantly, man, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being a friend, and, and thanks for coming in here and, and dropping some knowledge, dude. Good talking to you. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure getting to know you these past few months. Okay, enough. Now, been, now we're getting too fucking crazy. sappy and shit. I can't fucking <laughs> fuck you. No, <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> See you, buddy.